Hey everyone, welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and in today's episode, we are talking power hiking. That's right, when and how to power hike and what the difference is between regular hiking and power hiking. Yes, there is a difference. Just like those crazy power walkers you see out on the roads, there is the power hiking on the trails. So to learn a little bit more about that, I brought in a friend of the podcast and one of the best coaches around. He's about to drop some knowledge on us. So let's get right into it with Mr. David Roche. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to talk about everything there is to know about power hiking and how it can unlock someone's like true performance potential on the trails. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Like I, as I had mentioned earlier before we got started, like you wrote this really cool article on Trail Runner Mag. I honestly took a lot out of it. Hey, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a fast runner by any means. And I actually hike up a lot of the hills. So for me, I was like, oh my God, like I totally get this now. So it was a very interesting article on the differences between like your regular hiking and power hiking. And, and I, I personally didn't realize that there is like, there's the power walkers, you know, when they're out on the roads, it's power walkers, regular walking. So who knew that there was going to be a difference in in the hiking aspect of it. Um, so it's really cool to, to have this conversation with you and, and learn a little bit more about it. Well, one of the main, the first thing I want to emphasize is that walking is trail running. The, the, the term trail running, the community trail running encompasses people that walk the entire time. And no matter who you are, you're walking sometimes. Even Jim Wamsley is walking sometimes. And yes. that, that when we say trail runner, we're not saying, oh, those times you walk, you're taking a brief break from being a trail runner. We're saying that trail runners walk. They move <laughs> any way that you're expressing your physical nature through on the trails uh, or on the roads, you are still not just still a trotter. You are defined by that to be a trotter. So, um, if you're someone that walks a lot, just know that that not only doesn't make you less of a trotter. I would argue that it actually makes you more of a trotter, um, <laughs> fully engaged with the activity. That's good because I'm walking out on the trails all the time. So I <laughs> I still consider myself a trail runner, even though, like I said, I walk almost every single hill I come up to, and I like That's to run down the hills. So I, I I never considered myself a half and half. So it's it's kind of nice to hear that that and let people know, hey, if you don't run all the time and you're just walking out there, you're still considered a trail runner and part of the sport. Yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean that it is uh, and like it is just as active as running. And that's kind of what I want to emphasize about power hiking in general is that it is an opportunity. It is not just an opportunity to take a break. It is an opportunity to become your fastest self. Um, and so what I always really try to embody with my athletes, even top professionals, is that we want to bring our baddest ass hiking self into every race outside of like maybe some of the shortest ones. Um, and if we can do that, sky's the freaking limit. I actually just got a text that um, one of our athletes I, I, I might be reading this text wrong. I don't want to break false news, but as of now, I believe one of our athletes just won Mount Marathon in um, Alaska, you know, and that's a race straight up a mountain. Almost everyone is hiking almost every step up. Um, and that is like one of the more famous trail running races in the world. So, um, you know, this is an opportunity, whether you're the first place finisher or maybe toward the back of the pack, like hiking is a chance to get faster. Yeah. So let's just get right into it then, David. Like what, 
could be considered the definition of power hiking, I guess. And how, how does it differ from your regular hiking form? So I would just say walking purposely is power hiking. Um, but that purposeful element is extremely important that you can train your body to constantly be able to walk with purpose in a way that perhaps you can't with running. Like you might, all of us in running sometimes go to one of those, you know, thing, those uh, forms that aren't necessarily, I would say, purposeful, even if we're moving pretty quickly. Um, meanwhile, in walking, the output is slightly lower than our higher outputs running. So output is not the limiter. What is the limiter is our neuromuscular and biomechanical systems. So our brain and how the brain interprets the form we're doing. So after you adapt to that, uh, the things that feel really hard at first can become rather easy, rather quickly. And that's how you can see athletes that do hundred milers still being able to power hike purposefully long after they've you know, lost the ability to run in any coherent manner. And that's why it's such a great opportunity because, you know, sometimes you'll be hiking the hill on mile one. Most people will be hiking most of the hills in an ultra, whether you're doing a short race or a long race, like often it's the most efficient type of motion. And that efficiency of motion is something that can be trained very quickly. How does the form kind of vary, you know, with, cause you, you say you're hiking with purpose, right? And so what would entail, like, is it, how, how does the form differ, you know, from a regular, just, Hey, I'm casual hiking up to more of a, uh, like a faster, faster hike. What's yeah, the form like? Great question. I think that the first place to start is like on flatter ground. If you're, if you're hiking there, Max King famously calls it the mall walker where your sw- your arms are swinging rather big. You're walking with long strides. You're really striding out. That's something that you can, you can certainly work on. Um, but when I'm talking about power hiking, I'm usually talking about when you're going up slightly steeper grades, what that actually looks like. And that's when it can look very different than perhaps like an easy walk in the park with your kids or your dog or something. And so the way I like athletes to do it is to lean forward. So you're leaning forward into the hill. Um, That's how you engage your glutes um, and really get those to power you off rather than powering just from the VMO and your quad, like right at the front, which those muscles fatigue much more rapidly. So you're leaning forward to gain power from your glutes. You're bending your knee as you're uh, leg moves forward. So you're not walking with straight legs anymore. This is something where your knees are, you know, moving up as if you're running, but you're just walking. Um, and your arms themselves can either be at your side swing or they can rotate onto the front of your thighs. Um, as if you have almost little ski poles there And that type of hiking form, it doesn't need to be too extreme. You don't need to go out there and look like, you know, you're one of the European mountain racers doing this, but that slight focus on a forward lean, knee drive, arms in front of your center of gravity can make it so that you're able to sustain very fast paces. And then you focus on turnover, rapid turnover, engaging your glutes from there. Um, And doing that, I mean, most athletes can power hike up hills after they develop the technique as fast or faster than they can run up, especially steeper hills. Yeah. Do you ever, um, like with any of your athletes in particular, any athletes you've you've talked to, like when, when they're power hiking, have you ever heard anybody having like like little back issues or anything like that because they're not used to leaning like forward enough? Oh right? yeah, if you don't if you don't practice, it is extremely foreign and you'll get sore from it just like anything else. Um, which is why practice is important, even if it's a low output activity for a person. That doesn't mean it's something that needs to be focused on all year long. For most athletes, like your long runs, your runs on trails, you'll be hiking. And every time you do that is a chance to practice this power hiking form, this mindset, this purposefulness. Um, For athletes that might not need to hike 
as much in training. So they don't get enough practice in their regular runs because I don't want athletes doing this if they don't necessarily have to, because we're still trying to improve running as much as we can. Um, what I like them to do in that context is go out on specific hikes where that the purpose of it is just to practice this. Um, and usually that doesn't take that many sessions. I mean, one of the things that we do, especially with professional athletes is treadmill hiking where they'll put the grade on 15%. They'll start, uh, you know, maybe at three miles an hour to start, maybe move it up as they progress more and more. I've seen athletes that in their first session, their heart rate goes sky high. They're sore the next day, their low back hurts, their glutes hurt a little bit. Three sessions later, um, at the, you know, they'll be doing 15% at four or 4.5 miles an hour. And their heart rate will be as if they're jogging their slowest paces. And that just underscores like, oh, these neuromuscular biomechanical adaptations, they can happen fast. So, you know, even if you're three weeks out from a race, you still have low hanging fruit that you can pick up and excel even more at your event. So that's a, you bring up, you know, the racing aspect of it. When do you know that your time is to start power hiking during a, a trail race? I mean, it's the same thing because when it comes to the training, you're obviously going to start to know, obviously you're, you're, you're going up higher hills or steeper hills and stuff like that. But when you get to a, a actual race, when is that point in time where you're like, you know what, I should start power hiking versus trying to run up this steep hill? I think there's two different frameworks to look at here. One is if you are pushing your endurance limits in the race itself. So, you know, for some athletes that might be a 10 K is like their longest type of run for other athletes. It might be a hundred miler. Um, but coach Ian Sherman has a great, uh, framework for this, which is if you don't think you'll be running that hill at the end of the race, try not to run it at the beginning of the race either. Um, and that's if you're pushing your endurance limits at the end, because, you know, once you hit that, you, there's a big risk that you hit a major wall if you push just a little bit too hard early on. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Think about it in the context of the event itself. You know, if you're doing a half marathon, do you think you're going to be running that hill at mile 13? If so, great, run it. Um, if not, uh, perhaps think about hiking earlier and you can make up that speed other places, or that speed might actually be pretty wonderful to begin with. Um, the other part is if the race does not push your endurance limits, let's say it's a half marathon and you consistently, uh, are comfortable going farther. And in that case, I'm like, still try to run the hills because over time or run more of the hills, because over time you will be able to run more and more of the hills. Like not every single hill for most people, um, might be when they're not pushing their endurance limits to begin with might not be a hiker. And that's a good thing because running can be a little bit faster and it can be a skill that also, because the output is higher, the output will increase and increase and increase no matter what someone's level. So in that case, I like athletes, you know, try to run until the pace slows down to the same one that you'll be using when you hike and then make the transition. So, uh, in short, in events that are shorter for you, try to run and only when the paces, uh, kind of reach that inflection point, then switch in. If you're pushing your endurance limits, hike early, hike often, if uh, you wouldn't be running that one at the end. So it doesn't really just come down to, hey, this part of the hill is steep. I'm going to power hike this section, but I'm going to, but I'm going to run the remaining part of the hill, right? Once you're committed, once you committed, should you just keep going or, or how does that, how does that work? Yeah, no, you want to use run, walk too. I mean, or run, hike, like you're always adapting to the terrain you're on, you know, like it's, almost anyone will be hiking grades over 15%, except maybe professional athletes. Um, and the, the hill might love, you know, shout shallow out after that. And then you should be running. So always be aware of your surroundings and change it up as you go. Don't get yourself bogged down into one approach. But I, I think the risk with 
like elevating power hiking, like I hope to do on this podcast and, and let people know just how much of a skill it is and how much we can all develop it is that some people might start selling themselves short and be like, okay, I just have accepted that every hill I do or every hill that's longer is a walker, even though over time I might be able to run more and more of those. Um, so I always want people to be pushing their limits and shooting their shot and dreaming of what they might be capable of in five years while they also practice these skills that give them the best opportunity to enjoy the run they're on. Um, so there was, there was one study in your article that I found very, very interesting. And you mentioned this, uh, too, when you talked about getting on a treadmill and, and going up to the 15% grade, it mentioned something about athletes who start power hiking at above that 15% grade are actually more energy efficient over time. Is that, is that, did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. So this was a study done, um, actually here in Boulder, um, from the university of Colorado, and it was focusing on like relatively advanced athletes actually, and found that even for them, I think 17.8 was the inflection point, but it was the treadmill had, uh, it went in chunks. So it's unsure of exactly where it is somewhere over 15%. Um, there was an inflection point where they okay. running was less efficient, even for athletes that would run every hill. There are exceptions to that rule. I am sure. Um, you know, I know that there are athletes that basically if someone has made the U S mountain running team, they're probably running a lot of those hills right. um, and doing it relatively efficiently. But we're, we're um, talking about the average, the average trail runner. We're, that's yeah, probably what we're looking yeah. I, and I would guess that for the average trail runner, that inflection point happens even sooner. Like if you do a broad scale study on this. Um, and so that's, and that's also, that's totally fresh. That's when these athletes are not fatigued, um, which is why I emphasize, like, think about the end of your run at the beginning of your run. Um, and if at the end of your run, a hill will be approached a certain way, it's probably good to also approach it similarly at the, near the beginning, unless you're like truly pushing the limits of what you want to do from the gun and you're totally comfortable with your endurance. What would be some of your top three or top five tips to help make somebody a better power hiker? So the first thing is to learn the form. Um, you can look at this, the article. I, I also believe, I'm not sure if this is the one that has the video, but I've, I've created videos that demonstrate all these forms online. Uh, there's other people that have too. Um, because once you master the form is the, the opening element that lets you actually unlock what power you are able to give on your hike. Um, the second one is to really focus on this purposefulness. That is the key. And, um, you know, if it is a passive motion where you're leaving a lot of, um, time on the table with your hiking and a lot of fun on the table with your hiking, because at first that purposefulness feels very emotionally overwhelming and it feels physically tiring, but all of that is tied towards your neuromuscular system and biomechanical system, both of which can adapt very rapidly. So if you just double down on that purposefulness on your hikes, um, and you know, when you are power hiking, you'll see pretty immediate shifts in what you're capable of. Um, and this is especially important for people that might be chasing cutoffs or whatever. I've seen people that go from being two hours behind every cutoff at their, at their ultras to crushing the cutoffs by five hours, just from learning what the power of hiking can be. Um, and the third would be outside of the, the practice elements is strength, a, a minor amount of strength training. Um, so we've developed this routine called the mountain legs routine. You can just Google it. Basically all that's special about it is single leg one, uh, one legged step ups to, so you put one leg up two stairs and you just go up and down on that leg without a bounce. So one leg, that leg is lifting you up and down. You can do 30 of them to 50 of them, even higher. If you're really ambitious over time, doing those after runs gives you this power that then can translate super consistently, um, and super rapidly, no matter who you are. 
Yeah. Would um, so I read something too where, uh, and I didn't really understand this too much, but it, uh, opening up your airways a little bit more kind of helps you out as well. Yeah, too, you don't right? want to round. I mean, you never want to go with rounded shoulders on anything. Right. And, and there is a tendency to do that. One of the reasons that I talk about having your hands on your on your mid thigh sometimes when you do it is it opens up a little. You're you're not like closing as much. Yep. You know. So in general, keep a relatively good posture. You don't want. <laughs> You don't want to look like you're just a meek person in the corner at a party. Um, you, want in Notre Dame. Arms, like, you want to be shoulders out, really confident um, and embody that in your hiking. Because like, I mean, it just gets back to, it's still strenuous. So you want to be able to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no hunchback in Notre Dame. So uh, yeah. that being said, everyone will have different form. I mean, I've seen right. elite world-class hiker, world-class power hikers in these races that do hunch over a little bit. So I would say probably different things work for everyone. And that's where it comes in. Like when you're learning this form, adapt to how you feel. Um, these are just general guidelines. And then once you apply them to yourself and your specific biomechanics, because we all have different, you know, like femur to tibia ratios and things like that. That's where the real magic comes in that you're able to uncover what your true potential is. Yeah. And I think it should be noted too, and this maybe goes without saying, but I mean, if you're going into a race and it's a hundred mile or whatever, you, you should be training with that pack on as well as you power hike, right. And not just jumping into it, um, into the race with, you know, with a different type of pack or the wrong amount of weight that you're, you're carrying along with or yeah, water. Periodically. Or I, I don't think, I think at the end of the day, though, most of your runs should be fun. So like, I don't want an athlete ever carrying stuff they don't need to carry. Um, but I hope that when someone's training for a race that involves a pack, they occasionally do long runs that would require yep. a pack. Um, but like, that's one reason I, I mean, personal between us, I don't love between us just because this is just, us. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't love the, some of the European races that require these like huge outfits, even though you're like these, these packs. Um, and from a training perspective, because I'm like, okay, well then we actually do need to start doing some specific training because a lot of that stuff is unnecessary and entirely. Um, if yeah. the conditions are bad enough to need it, you're up shit's Creek and, or sorry, didn't mean to back. Anyway. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm always a little, little more hesitant on that, except for like the really high exposure mountain races. But, um, short of that, I think, you know, you should be carrying the fluids you need and things like that on your long runs. And that gives you a great chance to practice. And actually that's one place that I think perhaps the, some of the professional runners do something a little differently than maybe everyone else, which is a backloaded pack versus a front-loaded pack. Um, so, you know, the, the big bladder in the back versus like the, the bottles that you might have on the front of your pack. Um, so when we're talking about center of gravity here, having all the weight on your back is a, makes the center of gravity element a little bit more difficult. So one of the reasons you see it on the front is because it does help someone with that slight forward lean when they're hiking. Um, so you obviously can't always do that. Sometimes the bladders are able to carry more, but if someone hasn't tried the front load, maybe with even a waist belt on top of that, um, it might be worth a try because I've seen athletes have great success climbing really fast, um, with that. And I don't see it as often with the, uh, you know, having <laughs> like four pounds on, on all, all a bunch of shoulders and back. my last question, we were talking about just a little bit of the weight training and, and everything like, would you suggest, or do you suggest to your runners along with, uh, your longer step ups, would you suggest doing more like abdominal lower back type of stuff to help out with that core, um, as they're going, cause they're, yeah, again, leaning forward, if you're not used to it, you want to make sure that you've got a strong enough 
center yeah. of gravity. So again, you're not leaning forward from the waist so much as you're leaning forward from almost the ankles. So you're tipped forward perhaps is okay. a better way to describe it than a pure forward lean, like at the, just all the way down at the waist. So a, a strong core though is, is essential in everything. So we like athletes every single day to do either or both chin-ups and push-ups, um, focusing on a stable core while you're doing it. Um, and you know, or pull-ups. And if you're able to do that, you'll have plenty of a strong core for running. You can add some things into that, but often things like planks create a non-functional, like it's less functional in many ways because it, that's, you know, a lot of people that do a lot of planks get a lot of side stitches. It's because everything just gets kind of tight in there. Mm. Um, so that's a key. We also have a routine called the speed legs routine, which involves, a, you know, uh, medicine, a dumbbell essentially waiting, um, and is a little bit more complex, but that's a great step where you are. Okay. Now we want to strengthen the core. We're going to strengthen the whole body for someone that might have more time and more diligence with strength training. And that's an eight minute routine online that you can find, um, with like split squats and other fun things. That's like, well, if we're talking next level and someone really wants to level up, that's where to go. Well, hey, David, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and just chatting a little bit about power hiking and giving a little bit more explanation of what it is and when to do it, how to do it. Um, because I, again, we talk about it all the time, like if you're a trail runner, you're at one point in time during your run, whether it's training or race, you're going to be out hiking at some point. So um, it's kind of good to know what that, what that difference is. So I, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, I love it. I just like the, I was just thinking, you know how death kind of makes, is what makes us all human. Without it, we wouldn't even be human. Yeah. Like, is what makes us trail runners without it we yeah. wouldn't be trail runners so if you're out there just know everyone is sharing it and that it's a huge opportunity you know if you're listening to this and you're 85 years old one tell me how you learned about podcasts two you can improve <laughs> your hiking so much if you're 15 years old if you're 20, if you're a professional if you're a beginner it is a massive opportunity across the board that can be reinforced throughout a trail running career and level up someone's potential a massive amount well thanks again david i really appreciate you joining us and and uh, i'll uh, i'll be out in colorado again soon so hopefully i catch you at sometime uh this summer <laughs> you are freaking awesome i i'm actually hoping to be at some of these races and i, I love so. you all thank you so much for listening and thanks for supporting jeff uh he is the best All right, that'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. A special shout out to David Roche for joining me today. Um, you know, as, as you, many have probably heard, David is a, an elite coach there in Colorado that is a former USA Mountain Trail Runner. And I've always leaned on him for some really great coaching advice. So I appreciate him coming in today and, and talking about power hiking what the difference is with regular hiking, when to do it, how to do it. Uh, I know I took a little bit of information out of this that'll help me in my trail running. Uh, so I hope you did too. But again, thanks for listening in guys. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you out on the trails real soon. Music for the Trail Life Podcast was provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer.